Luke chapter 10, and we're going to begin reading in verse number 30. Luke chapter 10 and verse number 30. And Jesus answering said, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves which stripped him of the raiment and wounded him and departed leaving him half dead. And by chance there came down a certain priest that way, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And likewise a Levite, and when he was at the place, came and looked on him and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him, and went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine and set him on his own beast, and brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And on the morrow, when he departed, he took out two pence, and gave them to the host, and said unto him, Take care of him, and whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again, I will repay thee. Which now of these three, thinkest thou, was neighbor unto him, that fell among the thieves, and he said, He that showed mercy on him, and then said Jesus unto him, Go and do thou likewise. Let's pray. Father, I ask today that you would um, help and bless and work. I pray, Lord, today in this service that you would have control of us, and you know our needs, you know. Dear God, the things in our life that, that you want to deal with. You knew that before we ever arrived here, and you knew that we would be here. And so I pray that you would uh, do thy work in each heart and in each life. Thank you for Sunday school and for uh, those that taught faithfully. I'm grateful. I pray in advance for not just camp this week, but vacation Bible school the next week. And Pray that you would bless and that lives would be changed as we invest ourselves in our youth, especially in these next two weeks. And we'll give you the glory and the praise for all of it. In the name of Jesus, I pray these things. Amen. Have you ever been to a place in your life to where you felt like hanging a do not disturb sign about your neck and trying to just get away a little bit. Sometimes that's what vacation is about. It's just you being able to take some quiet time and catch your breath and breathe in deeply. Probably your life is like everybody else's life. There are some crowded times and crowded moments. It may even be places that represent crowds to you. And sometimes the very best laid plans that we have are, are, are derailed by interruptions, and I think that that's probably a part of, of all of our life. It's an interesting study I did. I shared this with you a couple, several years ago, but I want to go back through this because this is fascinating to me. The average person gets interrupted every eight minutes. Every eight minutes you get interrupted. That's seven times an hour, a staggering 50 to 60 interruptions per day. Okay, That's pretty big when you think about it. If you've got more kids, probably there's probably double that, all right? The average interruption takes five minutes, okay? So it takes five minutes of time to deal with. That means we get three minutes out of productivity 
out of every eight minutes we work. So out of every eight minutes we work, five are spent on dealing with the interruption, and three are quality work hours, okay? Work minutes, I guess you should say. We're spending four hours of each working day being interrupted. Eighty percent, it is said, of interruptions are unimportant. So if we could cut out all the unnecessary interruptions in our life that really didn't matter, we would save three hours and 12 minutes per day lost in productivity. Edward Brown is a guy that works with companies to help them increase their productivity. And uh, he helps Fortune 500 businesses get more out of their workers. And so he, he helps them identify what he calls time bandits. And then he, he helps them put in place another thing that he calls time locks at work. It's a time lock. It's when, it's when a worker cannot be interrupted by anyone. That includes the workers around them and even management. During the time lock, management can't come to the employee and say, I need you too. Because it, even though it's coming from management, is also an interruption and cuts down on productivity. The estimated personal productivity in the companies that he has worked with um, shoot up 40 to 60 percent. And so it's, it's very, very effective. Um, in the business world, I want you to think with me for a moment now. In the business world, interruptions equals a lack of productivity, which equals a lack of, a lack of uh, excellence, which ultimately equals failure. That's the business model. We want to lock in time that cannot possibly be interrupted, and in doing so, we're a better business with better workers, a better product. We become more productive. Don't interrupt us. But in the midst, we're inundated with books on leadership and success. And in the middle of all of that, and I think we're, I think we're pretty much um, enamored with it. It's an amazing thing that there's only one time in all of the Bible the word success is used. Joshua chapter 1, verse 8. And it's used in conjunction with how we handle the Bible, how we handle the Word of God. It's never a secular mentality of how can I apply these principles that I've become enamored with so that I can mimic a successful model. Though I understand in the Bible, there's, there's certainly expectations that God places upon us that, that helps us become more productive in our Christian walk. But I, I want to I remind you, I want to remind you that we don't find the model for the Christian life in the, in, in, the, in the business world. And in fact, if you'd be honest, the books written on leadership, most of them that are successful and impactful have taken their leadership principles from the Bible. Okay? You find their principles based upon things that are taught in the Scripture. Plan your work and work your plan is a good idea and a great formula for success. But if you've been saved very long, you're aware of the fact that God often interrupts your best plans. Okay? So how do, how do you work your plan 
and plan your work, and we should, and yet at the same time keep the reality that God has veto power over everything you've planned out and everything you've mapped out, and your best laid plans are at God's disposal to put in file 13. Pastor, what is file 13? It's a trash can. Okay. So God can trash your plans if He wants to. Now, here's an interesting thing. When we read through Luke chapter 10, and we're talking about today lessons from the Jericho Road. I wish I could take you there and let you see it. It is an extraordinarily treacherous road today. Okay? I've been across it twice on a bus. I want to tell you, there, there, there were more people getting right with God riding up the Jericho Road, the old Jericho Road, than anything you can... I mean, I'm, 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 talking, I'm talking people squealing out. I mean, there's not a lot of room between you and eternity, okay, on that road. On the side of the cliff is St. George's Monastery. Ernie, you've probably seen that. It's amazing. It's an amazing thing there. And the only people that attend that monastery are mountain goats. And uh, that's not much of an exaggeration. But in the day and age in which we read our text, uh, Luke chapter 10, the Jericho Road was a treacherous, and if I could spell that out in capital letters in your mind, that's how I'd spell it. It was a treacherous road in which people were very afraid and even hesitant to travel. Because up in the, up in the, the hills and the nooks and the crannies, the boulder-strewn um, geography along that road, it was known as the robber's road. Thieves and crooks hung out there, okay? It's where the James gang, Jesse and the boys... It's the type of place they would hang out. And then they would come down for a raid and hold up the, you know, the, the, the stagecoach. That's the kind of road that this was. And in our text, we find a man that is traveling there. He is, he is going on that road <coughs> Excuse me, that leads from Jerusalem to Jericho and, 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 and back. And he's ambushed by bandits, okay? He's ambushed by bandits. And... and um, they, they uh, uh, rob him, they strip him, and they, they leave him, what the Bible says, half dead. What does that mean? You just double his condition and he's not here, okay? So, so, so that's, how, that's, how, that's how they leave him. That's in the predicament that this man is in. And he's laying on the side of a road that is, that is noted for this type of activity. It's not a new thing. It's the only guy you're ever going to find that's been manhandled on the Jericho Road. There have been many before him, probably will be some after him. And as he lays there stunned and bleeding on the side of the road, three men pass by. They pass by him. First of all, uh, and, and by the way, in doing so, they become aware of the fact, well, look at there, look at that, look at him, look what happened, okay? So the thing that they have in common to a certain degree is, number one, they saw someone. They all see him. They visualize his problem. I said this morning in Sunday school that eyes that look are common, but eyes that see are rare. May God give us the, the ministry of the eyes, the ministry of vision, to see people as God sees them. And so three men go down the Jericho Road and they see a broken, bruised 
manhandled, robbed, half-dead man. The first one that comes by is a priest, and the priest represents religion. You might want to write that out in the flyleaf of your Bible. The priest represents religion, and seeing that this man had already been robbed, the religionist just continued on his journey. Okay? All religion ever does is rob people. It never gives. It always takes from you. It never adds to you. It makes demands of you. Okay? People don't understand People don't understand that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty, okay? We're not, by intention, we're not starchy and staid, and a lot of you that come here, things here are different from where you came when you came here. And, 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 and we just, this is just us. We're not trying to mimic other people. My parents, when they first came into a Baptist church, were used to um, Lutheranism and and the laughter and some of the different personality in church was alarming. I remember my mother, she could, it took her a while to get used to the fact of the liberty that was there where the Spirit of God was. And so the priest, having seen the man that was broken, continued on his journey, leaving him as he was where he lay. Now, don't you look at me and listen to me carefully. Religion will never help heal people. You can go to church, you can get all locked into their orthodox way of doing everything, but people leave the same way they came, okay? God give us a place where lives are changed, hearts are touched, and people are made different. Religion can't do that, so the religionist just kept going. He went on his way. Second guy that came along was, was a Levite. Now, here's the fascinating thing. The religionist stayed on his side of the road and kept going. The Levite crossed over and came and saw the man, stared at him, observed him, and then left. You know why? Because a, uh, the, the Levite, the law, can identify your problem, but it can't help rectify it. It can tell you what's wrong with you. Hey, dude, you're bleeding. Hey, your head's, your head's busted open. You know what? You're half dead. You need help. You need somebody to help you, but the law can't help you. It can tell you it needs help, but it can't provide the help for you. And so it goes back across the street, does the Levite, does the law, and continues on its way. A Samaritan then comes along, and out beside the Samaritan you might want to write the word grace, because the Samaritan saw him, came to him where he was, bound up his wounds, eased his discomfort, um, applied the medicine that would bring some relief, transported him to the end, took care of him, and then paid the bill for continued help. Now, would you think with me for a moment? All three of these men have one thing in common, though it's so different between the Levite, the priest, and, and, and the Samaritan, the thing that they all have in common was that their journey was interrupted. Okay, they were on their way. This is, the lesson, this is the lesson of the Jericho Road. It is that each one of these men had plans. They, they were going somewhere. Nobody came on that journey 
looking for a man that had been bruised and beaten. Nobody said, I'm, I'm trying to find somebody that needs my help. Nobody came looking for someone who had been robbed. That wasn't in their plan. They were headed in a direction from, from Jerusalem to Jericho on a treacherous journey. They had, they had their time, probably had, they probably had it figured out how long it was going to take them to get there. They were on their way, and they did not anticipate what they were about to encounter. Okay? But what was different, that's what they had in common. They all saw, they all had their life interrupted, but the difference is in the fact that two of them were so filled with their own self-importance and their own agenda that they did not allow their journey to be interrupted, whereas the Samaritan saw the interruption as being more important than his plans. Okay, look at me. There's nothing wrong with the fact that they left Jerusalem heading for Jericho and had a plan and a map on how they were going to get there. What was wrong in it is that they thought their plan was more important than the interruption that came their way on that journey. Now I want to say this to you. The lesson from the Jericho Road that should be sunk deeply in all of us is that if we're going to live a life of grace, we have to be willing to set aside our plan and help wounded and robbed and broken and bleeding and hurting and aching and dying people. If you think that your plan is bigger than people, if your project is bigger than people, if, if, the, thing, if the thing that you are, uh, uh, have embedded in your agenda is bigger than people, then you've got warped priorities. So the life of grace is this. Lord, this is my plan, but I, I want you to know at any point that you want to interrupt my life, I'm willing to accept and embrace the interruption. Diedrich Bonhoeffer said this. I want you to listen to these words because they're vital. Listen to this. We must be ready to allow ourselves to be interrupted by God. God will constantly be crossing our paths and canceling our plans by sending us people with claims and petitions. We may pass by them, preoccupied with our more important task. It's a strange fact that Christians and even ministers frequently consider their work so important and so urgent that they will allow nothing to disturb them. And then he closes by saying this, they think they're doing God a service in this, but actually they are disdaining God's crooked yet straight path. I'm going to tell you that there are times in your life there are going to be detours. You're going to have a straight path figured out, and God's going to put some crooks in your path that's going to lead you in a direction and is going to bring you to a divine appointment that's going to be far more important in your life, unbeknownst to you maybe, than the thing that you had actually planned yourself. I don't think that nurses in the ER ever go in and say, you know what, 
I want to deal with a guy today that was drunk and got in a violent wreck and his leg's going to be semi-severed. You know what they do? They just go to work. And a nurse, you know what she does all night? She deals with interruptions that are a part of her ministry and a part of her job. And people come in with all kind of crazy things going on. And she says, and what's your problem? And then she starts dealing with the interruption. Her job, like our Christian walk so oftentimes, is one interruption after another. Now let me say this, because this is very important. That's exactly the kind of life that Jesus lived. He lived an interrupted life. And I think if you and I were to be honest with each other, we would recognize the fact that, that He is our example. Okay. Now there's a lot of great men and, you know... Somebody posted on Facebook today, if you could only hear one pastor, only one preacher preach for the rest of your life, only one, who would that be? My name was not on that list, by the way. And uh, uh, I put Joel Osteen. But anyhow, I, no, I didn't. I'm, I didn't bring anything. But anyhow, so, so, you know, the reality of the matter is, you know who I'd like to listen to is Jesus. So I, that's, that's who I wish I could hear. I've known some great preachers in my life and preachers that, preachers that I would travel long distances to hear because they had such the touch of God on their life and, and I'm so grateful for them and their investment in my life. Okay. But the reality of the matter is Jesus is our supreme example. And we only follow men as they follow Him. But we never elevate man to that level like Peter did when they were on the mountain. We'll talk about that in just a moment. But if you and I could go back in the Gospels and start reading from one end of the Gospel of Matthew to the end of the Gospel of John, if we could observe the, the earthly sojourn of our Lord, we would see Him being constantly interrupted. I mean, it's, it's literally one after another. Look, look at me. Let, let me. let me say this to you. Listen, He made Himself interruptible. Jesus made Himself interruptible and that's the lesson of the Jericho Road why because Jesus is the Good Samaritan Jesus is the one it's not he, he's not religion he's not law he's grace and and he listen to me he he is the express image of the Godhead bodily he's full of what grace and truth and so he came there, uh, in, in, this, in, in this story that we hear, that's Jesus that approaches the man and begins to make changes in his life. Let me give you an example. Luke chapter 9, don't turn there, but Luke chapter 9 verse 51 says that he set his face to go to Jerusalem. He steadfastly set his face, Luke 10, excuse me, Luke 9 51, he set his face steadfastly to go to Jerusalem. What does that mean? That's his plan. Jesus, what's your plan? I'm going to Jerusalem. And it, he set his face. Where are you going? I'm going to Jerusalem. That's where I'm headed. Where's your destination? Jerusalem. Where am I going? Jerusalem. What are you doing now? I'm making my way to Jerusalem. Well, we read down a few chapters in Luke chapter 18, and he's on his way to Jerusalem, and he approaches Jericho. I was there just a handful of weeks ago, and, 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 and the crowds press him to get a glimpse of him, and, and, and from uh, the middle of that procession, there's somebody on the street corner crying out. This guy heard Jesus is coming by. 
And so he starts screaming at the top of his lungs, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Well, here's this procession. What's Jesus doing? He's going to Jerusalem. And as he passes through Jericho, a guy's screaming for him. Jesus stops. You know what the disciples did? They rebuked him. Dude, shut, zip it. Just look, stop screaming, would you? Jesus is going to Jerusalem. He doesn't have time for your interruption. Stop calling his name. We know where we're headed. We know where we're going. We're not going to be interrupted. He's got his face steadfastly set to go to Jerusalem. What did Jesus do? He stopped the procession, took the time, listen to me, to listen and heal. He listened to the man, and then he healed the man of his, of his blindness. It's an amazing story. Luke chapter 19, he's going through, continued on his way to Jerusalem, and a little guy, a short guy who had a big reputation amongst uh, the publicans, climbed a sycamore tree, and there's one in the middle of Jericho that's supposed to be 2,000 plus years old, and the legend there, they've got it quartered off, the legend is that's the tree, okay? So Zacchaeus was in that tree, all right? Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was see. John, would you sing that for us? No, he will not. And so Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and Jesus stopped, and he said, Zacchaeus, come down out of that tree. Why? Because I'm going to your house today, today, I'm going to your house today. Okay. So in that procession, boom, blind man, Jesus listens and heals. Then up here, there's, there's Zacchaeus, and Jesus stops and says, hey, Zacchaeus, get out of the tree. I'm going to Jerusalem, but you're going to be a very important interruption in my life upon the way. And you know what happened to Zacchaeus? Zacchaeus got saved, and it turned his life around. It's an amazing thing. Listen to me. In both of these cases through Jericho, Jesus made their interruptions his top priority. You know what we do? We look at interruptions as interruptions. Okay, write that down, it's important. No, we, we, we look at an interruption as an inconvenience when an interruption might actually be a, a gift, a divine appointment, an opportunity for you to be the Good Samaritan, for you to live like Jesus, rather than religion and law. Mark chapter 9, Jesus takes Peter, James, and John. They go up into the Mount of Transfiguration, and uh, uh, he, Jesus is transfigured before their very eyes, and, and he's joined on that Mount of Transfiguration by Elijah and by Moses, okay? And you, you want to talk about a mountaintop experience? Can you imagine being up there where well, Peter and James and John were? My word, they're like, I mean, I mean, listen, this is, this is amazing. Jesus is transfigured. Moses and Elijah, iconic, legendary figures, they're all there together. Peter gets overwhelmed with it. <coughs> and so much so that he suggests that they build three tabernacles, one for Jesus, one for Moses and Elijah. And his problem there was he was putting Moses and Elijah on the same, we'll give each of you a tabernacle. No, 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 no. No, and then God speaks, and of course, and said, this is my beloved son, um, you know, hear him. It's not gonna, this is not going to be a permanent retreat. God is saying to Peter, um, 
uh, I mean, you know, you're here, you're away from the craze and the noise of life, but then Jesus said, we got to go back off the mountain. Now listen to me, look at me, listen to me. Sometimes it becomes time to get off the mountain. Okay. Sometimes you got to get off the mountain. Well, the mountains are nice. We had a great time. I could eat seafood every meal. I'm talking breakfast, noon, which is also dinner, and biblically, supper. Okay? Those three. I, what do you want to eat? Fish. I was with a pastor one time in California, and, and he said, Brother Dean, what do you like to eat? And I said, well, anything. He said, no, no, what, what do you like? I said, well, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm good with anything. He said, what, what is your food? I said, you really, are you asking me a serious question? He said, yeah. I said, seafood. Breakfast, lunch, supper. Just give me seafood. So, so that's a, that's a, we, we had a great time. But you don't stay on the mountain. You don't stay on the mountain. There were times that God led his people in their journeys in the wilderness on a mountain, but then he said to them, it's time to get off the mountain. You can't live there where there's no craze. You can't live there where there's no noise. You can't stay there where there's no interruptions. That's, what not, that's not what life is really all about. And so Jesus leads them back down off the mountain. You know where? You know what he led them to? An interruption. Let's get off this mountain because there's a broken-hearted father that's going to interrupt us with a story about his demon-possessed son that cast himself into the fire and then into the water. We need to help. We need to deal with this interruption. Why? Look at me. Listen to me. Because the interruption was the will of God. Sometimes Jesus will put you in a boat and say, go to the other side. Do you know what happens in your journey from here to there? A storm arises. You know what that teaches you? That the storm itself is the will of God for your life. If He puts you in a boat and sends you to the other side and a storm comes, His will isn't just for you to get to the other side. His will is for you to face the storm on the journey. Matthew 8, Jesus comes off a mountain after spending time in prayer. Multitudes press Him. And then a leper comes seeking to be healed. And then a centurion comes seeking help for his servant. And then he sits on the steps of Peter's mother-in-law. He heals his, Peter's mother-in-law. And, and, and then he waits as long lines, long lines of diseased and demon-possessed and broken people come. Tracy, we were just there. Yolanda, you remember that? The ruins of Peter's house. And every one of those people was an interruption to his day. They brought their interruptions to him and he dealt with them. Let me just say this and then I'm, I'm going to move quickly, but we're too tightly wound. We're, we're just too tightly wound. We're more machinery than we are ministry in our Christian walk so many times. And if we're going to be like Jesus, we've got to live the interrupted life. It doesn't mean that we don't have plans, and it doesn't mean we don't have priorities. It just simply means that we yield our plans to Him, and that His, His plans always 
take priority over ours, then they may come in the form of an interruption. Number two, let me say this to you quickly, and that is that sometimes God interrupts our plans. You know, you know the thing that all of we, everything we've talked about thus far, you know what it all, that, you, know, you know what every one of those illustrations involves? Hurting people. Every single one of the illustrations I just gave you in the life of Jesus involves somebody. There's a name. There's a predicament. There's a problem that is given there. And suddenly, all of a sudden, there they are standing in the middle of the path between what we have planned and to get accomplished and what God wants us to accomplish. Sometimes it may be that He redirects us to another place. Remember in Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas are traveling and they decided to preach the Word of God in Asia, but verse number 16 of, of Acts, uh, verse number 6 of Acts chapter 16, the Bible says that they were forbidden by the Holy Ghost to preach the Word in Asia. Isn't that a, that's a, that's a strange scripture. What, what are they doing? We're going to go preach in Asia. We're going to preach the Word of God in Asia. And the Holy Spirit of God said, no, I'm going to interrupt that. Plans were good. Plans were honorable. Plans were important. I mean, what they were going to do was really a good idea. But God interrupted it. So then they readjusted. And they determined that they would uh, travel to the northeast of Asia Minor and go into Bithynia. And the Bible says specifically, but the Spirit suffered them not. So the second time, the Spirit of God says, Nah, I'm not going to do that. That's not my plan for you. Both times, plans were good. Both times, interruptions were better and more important. And it was after that God had twice interrupted their plans that Paul heard the Macedonian call and knew that God was redirecting them to Europe. And sometimes God interrupts our plans because He has other plans and His other plans are better. We are His servants He's our master, and he knows how he can use us better than we know ourselves. Sometimes he, he interrupts us to redirect us to a quiet place. Mark 6, Jesus had sent the apostles out uh, by twos. They've been busy ministering, preaching, and healing. And th they come back with a great sense of excitement. He's, he, they're, they're just jitterbugging. They're energetic with what they've seen and what they've done. And their ideas, we'll go out again. Let's, let's do this again. This is great. Crowds are filling, just, just cramming around them. And they're like, this is amazing. And he said unto them, come ye yourselves apart into a desert place and rest a while. For there were many coming and going, and they had no much leisure so as to eat. And they departed into a desert place by ship privately. Let me say this to me. Look, look, look at me. Listen, this is so important for your life and my life. Don't ever be apologetic when God leads you into a quiet place. Sometimes, sometimes God's interruption is to be, all right, you need to step aside and, and, and you need to Remember what Paul said to Timothy, take heed to thyself and to the flock. What's he saying there? Your commodity 
first of all, is yourself. If you don't take care of yourself, I can't use you in any other area. And, and I, I think that sometimes, I think that sometimes um, we don't realize that He's Lord of our time. You know what life is made up? Time is the stuff that life is made of, Benjamin Franklin said. And, and, and sometimes we don't take care of our time, and in doing so, we're poor stewards of our life. Okay? Because we don't, we don't, we wear as a badge of honor how we abuse ourselves. Well, that's God only, I get, I get four hours of sleep a night. Well, okay, that's great, but how long are you going to last? See, the, the idea of workaholism, and we ought to be hard workers, but we sacrifice family, church, health, and everything else. Why? Because we've been programmed to think that we have to burn the candle at both ends. And in the process, we lose everything truly valuable to us. We're losing it all because we don't realize God's trying to interrupt us and set us aside for a little bit that we might replenish and, and uh, be refreshed. Somebody said one time, I'd rather burn out than rust out. I think that God would have us live out. Neither burn nor rust. Just live our life for His glory for as long as He gives us on earth. Now my last point is this, and that is that sometimes God doesn't just interrupt our plans, He interrupts our life. Now, let, me, let me give you just a few examples. God interrupts our life. I was, a number of years ago, I was preaching at, at um, um, a youth conference in Oklahoma City. It's, it's a youth congress. I was preaching there, Southwest Baptist Church. When that was over, I was going into Indianapolis, Indiana, and I was preaching for Dan Tidd. Who, who pastors the Lighthouse Baptist Church there, a good man, good friend of mine. Dan had been having some problems and had been pressing the, the metal to the pedal, uh, the pedal to the metal a little bit too much probably and, and, uh, and was just trying to ignore some things that were going on. He wound up with six bypass surgery. Six bypass surgery. So I called up from Oklahoma City and said, look, I, I know this has blown the church out of the water. We can just call this off. Susie was to speak at a ladies' meeting. If y'all going to call the ladies' meeting off, that's fine. I, that's, that's good. We'll catch a flight back to Boise. And they said, no, please come. And so I went into the church and, and, uh, and ministered to them in his absence, had an opportunity to talk with the men of the church uh, about how they could help their pastor and take some burdens off of him. And, and uh, the reality of the matter is, if you talk to Dan Tid today, he'll tell you that it was God that interrupted his life. Sometimes those things aren't wanted and sometimes those things aren't planned. I have a dear friend of mine that is the editor of, of, of the Baptist Times, Wayne Hardy. Wayne and I both run and Wayne was out running one day and had heart problems and wound up with open heart surgery. I called him on the phone the day before it happened and we were just talking about what in the world. You know, we've done our best keep ourselves in shape, but now this was an interruption in his life, okay? Interruption in his life. Um, 
I think of 2012, I think of 2017, I think of 2019. And things happened in my life that were not mapped out. I didn't have them on the, on the, I didn't have them on the schedule. I didn't write in, okay, I've got to have this done and this done and this done. Okay? It's funny, sitting in the easy chair a couple of weeks ago, I had, I had no, okay, I think tonight I'm going to schedule some heart blocks. I mean, they just busted in, interrupted me and my thinking and, and, and everything else. And I keep reminding my family, I, I, sh I shouldn't be lifting that. And um, it's, it's hard, it's difficult. Let me tell you something, listen to me. Don't ever forget this, because you're going to need this one day. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and so are his stops. See, I had no idea. But you know that nothing took God by surprise? Nothing. God knew exactly what was going to happen, when it was going to happen. He got me through two trips to Israel, brought me home, sat me in my easy chair and said, okay, it's time. And he allowed, he allowed to happen what, what, what could have happened five and a half years ago. So the point of the matter is that, 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 that God not only orders our steps, but he orders our stops. But wherever, listen, here, listen to me, wherever God stops you, he's there. Wherever God stops you, He is in that place, waiting on you, prepared for you. He's cleared the path. He's going to take care of you wherever He stops you. Whither shall I go from thy spirit, David wrote in Psalm 139. Or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend into heaven, you're there. Thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. He said in Psalm 119, verse 171, it is, it is, or verse 71, it's good for me that I have been afflicted. Why? Are you kidding me? It's good for me that I was afflicted? I don't like that kind of interruption. I don't like the affliction interruption. Okay? I like the interruption where somebody says, hey, we've got $10,000 for you. I never have those. But anyhow, uh, hey, I, like, I like the nice interruptions, okay? But David said, it's good for me that I was afflicted. Why? That I might learn thy statutes. Look at me. When God interrupts you, he's making you. And he's teaching you. Don't blow the lesson. He's, he's teaching you. Sometimes the storm comes to teach us his power to walk on the water. Sometimes he interrupts our life like the woman at the well. She had all full plans on what she was going to do. But the Lord Jesus interrupted her life. And she came to the well with a bucket. But she left with the well springing water within her she's carrying this and then all of a sudden when she walks away she's got the well itself inside of her some of your greatest accomplishments listen are going to come more as a result of the interruptions than they are the plans boy i wish we could sink that in us deep our greatest accomplishments more often than not will be the result of the interruptions that God sends in our life, 
than they are our well-placed plans that are all perfectly aligned and figured out. Now, what does this teach us? What does the Jericho Road teach us? Well, it, it, it teaches us from the, from the side of the three men that life's not going to go as you planned it to go. It's just, not, it's, it's just not going to. It reminds us that we're not really in control, and it teaches us to trust His plan that may be in the form of an interruption more than our plan, to trust Him. Okay, God, why? I don't know why. This is in my life right now, and I'm going to deal with it. And we have two choices. We can barge ahead like the priest and the Levite, or number two, we can stop and live like Jesus and the Samaritan by, by facing the interruption and, and helping, helping the, the people that God brings our way. So here's my challenge to you. Here's the law of... Here's the law of the Jericho Road. You ready? Right here, as you write your plans, you got your to-do list, your to-live list, your to-accomplish list. You got it all lined out. Leave room in the margins. for his interruptions because they're going to come and how you handle them is going to determine whether you live like a priest a Levite or a good Samaritan let's bow our heads could we You may be slap-dab, right, dead center of a interruption right now. Interrupted. Your life's interrupted. What you going to do with that? How you going to deal with that? Trust Him. Boy, this isn't life as I planned it. Okay. We've, we've all been there. This is not what I planned. This is not how I foresaw it. But trust Him. Trust Him. Don't force life. Live a faith life. look at it differently like it was an interruption sent by God it'll change your attitude it'll help you get through without all the stress and the fighting and the churning that goes on so many times Father we love you we thank you today for your love for us I pray God that you'll help us to recognize your sovereignty in our life and that even the things that we see as insignificant have significance to you. Help us to live like the Good Samaritan.
In the name of Jesus, I pray these things. Amen.